Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And Connor, we got two big topics as usual here, plus guess the verdict. Topic number one, is Alec Baldwin a victim of reverse celebrity justice? Dun, dun, dun. I can't believe how much of an Alec Baldwin fan I've become ever since he was indicted. But yeah, yeah. Before that, not so much a fan um, or, or really, agree, in agreement with his politics. It's steam coming out of my ears. Issue number two. Will the sighting of a transgender woman's penis at a San Diego YWCA change the debate over trans rights? Now, maybe that's a mouthful, yeah. and we're going to explore it when we get to topic number two. And the guess the verdict topic today, where I give Connor the real life facts of a real case, and he gets to guess the outcome. It's the case of the philanderer versus the phone company. So we have that to look forward to hmm. at the very end of the podcast. All right, topic number one. Is Alec Baldwin a victim of reverse celebrity justice? So celebrity justice, you know, that's what people point to and say, well, that's why O.J. Simpson was found not guilty. Right. And why you know, Robert Blake was found not guilty, even though he clearly killed his wife with a big old gun in the San Fernando Valley. Sure, or Michael Jackson or anybody else opinion. that yeah. people believe is it, it, generally, oh, he got away with something because he has so many fans, yeah. because well, people it was amazing when you think about the Michael Jackson case. The evidence was indisputed that he slept in the home of and in the bedroom of this, whatever, 12-year, 13-year-old boy uh, in the valley for like 100 nights uh, over the course of a year, six months or whatever. And yet the jury found him not guilty. So maybe that was celebrity justice at, wor- at work. Who, who knows? And maybe the parents of that kid somehow had some celebrity justice going on, given well, that they, they didn't end up in the I slammer. they threw him to the wolves. Yeah, yeah. it was all about, incredible. Ooh, uh, Michael, and it was incredible. So uh, reverse celebrity justice. I'm a little concerned that the district attorney in the fine state of New Mexico may be going after Alec Baldwin because he's a celebrity, so that she, uh, being very big on, quote, nobody's above the law, uh, and also she told the world three months ago that after a year of investigation, I'm thinking of charging several people, including Alec Baldwin. Excuse me? Is that what DAs do? You have a press conference to say, oh, here's just a little update to right. ladies and gentlemen of the press and uh, and uh, public everywhere. I'm thinking about it, and in particular, boy, I don't you think I'm not going to go after Alec Baldwin? It's, the, it's a page out of the James Comey book. 
<laughs> the, yeah, uh, I'm, th- I'm, th- I'm thinking about charging Hillary. Ex- I don't know. Exactly. I know it's five days before the election, but I'm going to do it. I don't, I don't think this DA bumbled quite the way <laughs> James Comey did in July with the big press conference. Oh, you know, we looked into it. No, no, there's nothing there. And then a week before the election in October, uh, you know, there might be something Psych. there. Well, you got some Anthony Weiner uh, pictures and stuff in uh, the laptop. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I'm concerned that her decision to charge Alec Baldwin may not have been fair, or did she feel she had to follow up on the whole, well, nobody's above the law thing, and I'm thinking about charging the big guy. If she doesn't charge the big guy, people could easily say, oh, well, ma'am, you know, what, what was going on there? So let's take a quick look at the uh, charges and see if uh, we can uh, figure out if they were true or apply. I mean, basically, they ch- charged him with uh, involuntary manslaughter. Right. And, of course, whenever this happens, people are always asking, manslaughter, what exactly, you know, heat of passion or whatever. Well, no. I mean, there's murder, which is murder one and two, and murder is intent to kill. That's murder one. Murder two is the intent to kill, but you didn't really intend it. You just absolutely recognized the danger of it, but didn't care. That's murder too. Now right. we come to manslaughter. If it's voluntary manslaughter, it's, you know, you get in the car, you know you're drunk, you're putting other people at risk, or there's a heat of passion. Now we come to Alec Baldwin, involuntary manslaughter. You killed, you did not intend to kill, you did it as a result of recklessness and negligence. gross negligence. Right. Was it really recklessness, gross negligence? for Alec Baldwin to rely on the assistant director who said, cold gun, cold gun. I mean, this comes down to the fundamental uh, instruction that every attorney uh, and and legal watcher, of course, uh, will tell you, uh, reserve judgment, right? Wait, we don't know yet. We don't know the facts yet. There may well be facts that the prosecutors know uh, that are, they're not disclosing at this point that will come out in the trial, right. and we will all go, oh, well, I They get do it. know them because Alex or Alec told them yeah. to George Stephanopoulos on ABC. Yeah, there's a little know. bit of that. Yeah, it's true. And we do know certainly more about this case than we do about many other cases. And it's okay for us to discuss, you know, what the facts that we do know, especially from uh, the, the horse's mouth uh, himself. Himself, right. uh, Alec, in terms of what he told us, um, and it, you know, you can construe when somebody tells you the story that they believe exonerates them. You can say, well, okay, given if we assume Alec is right about all that, then what's the the outcome? What's the result? Right. So uh, there are two th- factors that I think uh, that are uh, not in the knowledge of the ordinary, the lay person who ordinarily, you know. Uh, watches movies but doesn't really know how they're made, um, that might go into our calculus. And we should think about here, right? One, Alec Baldwin was a producer on this movie. And a lot of people don't know what the title producer means. But producer usually means uh, you're funding the thing, right? And you get a producer credit as a result of that. But when you are the Or you're involved in the logistics of putting it together, hiring and Right. When you're the actor starring in it, that's another uh, element of the the, the movie uh, that that makes it more likely that you had sort of command and control of the situation. When you're Alec Baldwin, the biggest name on the entire set, the biggest name of any of the producers, the biggest name in the whole situation, uh, you're carrying the whole movie. This is an Alec Baldwin producer. Production, literally, you're the producer, you have responsibility, and you are uh, going to be, at the end of the day, uh, the buck stops with you, right? right? So that's the argument, or one argument that can be made to say Alec Baldwin is in some way responsible for bad or dangerous things that happen on set, right? Even if they're done by other people. 
Because if you hire somebody, we don't know yet. We don't know whether Alec, you know, called and hired this armorer, right? right. Whether they hired the person who hired this armorer. You're, we don't know right. these facts yet, right? You're right. But the fact that we don't know it right. probably means he had a zippo to do with the hiring of the armorer. probably didn't have a lot he, of and specific— And I think the DA yeah. would have leaked information to us to, to support their position. They often do. Her position here is that there was a, quote, pattern of criminal disregard for safety on the Rust film set. Now, I can see if you sued Alec— and said, hey, you're a producer as a matter of law, you're vicariously liable, you you are responsible for bad stuff that happens. I get it. If you're going to charge him with manslaughter, right. I would say she better have some evidence that he yeah. knew of or, or in some way was responsible for the, quote, pattern of criminal disregard for safety on the Rust film set. Right. Because if all she's got is his name was there as producer. Yeah. I don't think that's fair, and I don't I think don't a think, jury is going to go against it. I don't think it's it. enough. I'm, I'll bet you anything he's not the only producer who's uh Oh, they always have movie. multiple of producers. Of course, right? right? And the question is, at, at what point do we start saying that that uh, Alec might be being targeted because he is a big name uh, and because you know people don't, as you put it, don't want to—, to People, anyone, observers to think that somebody is above the law just because they're rich and powerful and famous. Right. Sure. The other important element that we should— you know, know that, you know, I, I as a lawyer didn't learn this stuff in law school, but since the Rust shooting happened, I have done a little bit of light research on the matter and have learned some of the logistics of how guns are treated on sets. Mm -hmm. You have an armorer who is responsible for the care and maintenance uh, of guns on set and for supplying them to actors when the actors need to carry them around or fire them or whatever else. And when they do that, they have very specific procedures that the Screen Actors Guild and uh, you know, the AFL-CIO and other organizations have rules for how people on their sets that are managed by them, uh, how they handle these dangerous items. Because mm -hmm. Guns on, on uh, movie sets don't just look real. They very often have explosive material inside of them to be able to create muzzle flashes uh, and have sound that is exactly contemporaneous and that other actors and, and people on scene react to in an organic way. Other people, editors, a lot of editors after the shooting came out and said, uh, this should be a wake-up call for everybody. We've got the tech. You don't need guns that go off on set anymore. You can have fake guns that with no explosive material look absolutely like real guns, but, but can't shoot, right? That can't shoot, and you can add all of the smoke and bang and flash and everything else in post. And people respond to that and go, well, how are the actors going to react when the, when the gun is going click, 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 instead of going bang? You can have a speaker on set that says bang right. if you really want, <laughs> right? At the exact opportune time, right? Yep. You can figure this out. So that's what some people said about this. The, the other, you know, arguments that were made uh, about this is that procedure is it's incumbent on the person who's going to be pulling the trigger to make sure that all the dots, uh, the I's are dotted and all the T's are, T's are crossed. So is it in, is it fully and completely within Baldwin's control to when the armorer hands him a gun and says it's a cold gun to look at the bullets? And in this case, it was a shot uh, of a revolver where the bullets are exposed because of the nature of the revolver's uh, chamber that spins. The, the camera has to see that there are bullets inside. No, you can add them in post. But they didn't want to. They wanted the camera to show the bullets inside. Okay, so they have to look real. They can't be brightly colored and fake looking or made of plastic. They have to look real for the camera. So then— And that's a, a weak part of the case, I think, because it, a lot of people have reported uh, that— 
actors are not trained to physically examine the bullets themselves. They aren't really qualified to know whether something is a dummy or not. Right. Some people say, well, then you should call the armorer and say, I've just been told by the assistant director that right. this is a cold gun. Right. I want you to show me with my yeah. own eyes that this is, in fact, a cold gun. Yeah. My impression is that people don't do that. George Clooney says yeah. that Alec was was wrong not to do that, yeah. but really, well, is that going to go with a jury? Well, that's the thing. If you have a pattern in practice in Hollywood where they say, hey, there's a procedure for this. When you're using a realistic bullet that has to go onto a gun for a cinematic reason, there's a procedure. You take the bullet out and you shake it, and there's an audible noise from a ball bearing bouncing around inside the fake bullet that yep. proves this is not packed with gunpowder. It's fake. Then you put it back in the gun, and you load it into the chamber. Now you know that bullet will not fire. And did but, Roy Rogers really do that? Yeah, that's the question. Do, is In reality, is there too much pressure from the directors and the assistant directors and the sun going down and the light guy and the boom operator and everybody's wanting to go to craft services and get lunch and, oh, my God, just click, you know, f just pull the trigger, buddy, and we'll move on to the next take. It's not a real gun. Come on. Right. Now, the problem is it is a real gun, and there's a lot of pressure to, to move, but who is that pressure coming from? Let's bring it full circle. The producers of the movie, mm -hmm. which is Alec Baldwin. Yeah. So the question is, is there is there a pattern? Do actors usually disregard it? Are they kind of forced to disregard it? And if so, by whom? Good is questions. it maybe by Alec? I have another pattern I want to talk to you about. The uh -huh. pattern of district attorneys wanting to be attorneys general and then wanting to be governor yeah. and then wanting to be president. That so that I'm just I'm just saying. The other th reason <laughs> I'm a little suspicious is the prosecutors chose to advance two involuntary manslaughter charges against Baldwin. One, mm -hmm. the regular one, which is 18 months in, in jail or right. prison in New Mexico. And then there's the gun enhancement manslaughter charge that is a five-year deal. Whoa. Now, they, for whatever reason, the prosecutors are choosing to give both choices to the jury. Prosecutors could just say, I only want the little one or I only want the big one. Yeah. This is kind of weird. It's almost like it's inviting out. him to do a plea bargain. Mm. Like he's saying to himself, well, you know, let's think more about the 18 months and yeah. maybe I'd do a year in jail because you know he is going to have an adamant opposition to any time in jail as a plea bargain. Because I think he sees himself as a, a, a guy like Johnny Depp who can who can talk He's his way out of this. Oh, he absolutely. obviously thought he could talk oh, his yeah. way out of it before, but now in front of a jury, he probably, being a good actor, a charismatic guy, popular guy, and a kind of a flaky case, I would go to Vegas and bet money on Alec Baldwin at this Agreed. point. All right, so uh, we are going to move on to topic number two, but first... Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on your podcast platform of choice. Um, I know I say that every week, but uh, you really uh, really can get us anywhere on Stitcher or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict, anywhere that uses an RSS feed, we're, we're almost certainly there. And uh, each one of those platforms, we'd appreciate you subscribing to and uh, liking or commenting. Leaving those comments makes us feel great, and we check them out and, and read them, uh, even if they make us shake our fists. <laughs> uh, but in a lawyerly shaking fist way. That's a normal lawyerly thing. When we come back, issue two, will the sighting of a transgender woman's penis at a San Diego YWCA change the debate over trans rights? Stick with us. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Laurel Oaks. And I'm Conrad. All right, so the question before the House here is, will the sighting of a transgender woman's penis at a San Diego YWCA change the debate over trans rights? I mean, the debate over rights of transgender people is heating up. Uh, a, a California teen uh, threw kind of a curve into this debate recently, uh, Rebecca Phillips. She's 17. She recalled seeing a naked man, as she referred to this person, in her ro- local YWCA, telling the city council that she'd been trying traumatized by the experience. Uh, she was swimming, and then she goes to the locker room. As I was showering after my workout, I saw a naked male in the women's locker room. Immediately, I went back into the shower terrified, hid behind their flimsy excuse for a curtain until he was gone. She was not impressed with the curtain, the yeah. shower curtain. So she says the policy of allowing trans women in the female locker room should be changed. She was worried her five-year-old sister could be exposed to the naked trans women at the YWCA. Uh, she was reprimanded by the staffers who told her the trans woman had every right to be there in the female changing room. Uh, women's facilities may be used by anyone in California now that state law says people must be allowed to use facilities that align with their gender identity that they identify as, as opposed to what's on their birth certificate. I guess one question I have is, I mean, it seems like the gay marriage ball got rolling and it rolled really fast. And I think transgender activists seem to be trying to follow that business model. And so are we close to a society being fully accepting of people announcing they are now not of the same gender as when they are born? Uh, Or am I, you know, is this an inappropriate analogy to the gay rights movement? I think that the, as, as a tipping point, like we saw the, the, uh, the gay marriage debate hit a real tipping point where politicians realized there was more uh, positive uh, political equity to be gained from flipping on the matter and saying, "Ah, oh, my views in the matter have evolved." And you know, I'm yeah, I'm Hillary Clinton, and I used to say that uh, a marriage is between a man and a woman. Yeah, that was in the '90s, and now I want to be president in 2016. And I know that uh, you know to 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 win on this issue, I've got to. Uh, persuade a bunch of progressives to actually come out. So I'm going to say that my views have evolved and changed. And maybe her views did evolve and change. And, you know, God bless her for being open-minded on that front. That's great. I don't uh, I don't think that we're going to get near some sort of tipping point on that front because all of these trans rights, starting with the bathroom bills on the East Coast in places like North Carolina and continuing through this narrative that we have that is propped up by conservative news outlets that, you know, when things are not looking particularly great for conservatives, they trot out the hits. They they, they bring out the trans bathroom bill issues. They bring out the trans uh, people uh, in your locker rooms, flashing your kids stories. Um, that is going to continue because it's politically profitable. It's very powerful. And the, the Trumps of the world and the Trump supporters of the world are so much more emboldened now, post-Trump, post-January 6th, post-Charlottesville, post all of these scenarios where the right fascist wing was emboldened by the opportunity to come out of the woodwork and say, uh, we're not going to let you, uh, you know, replace us with a progressive narrative that, that the world is, you know, uh, becoming nicer and friendlier or whatever. No, uh, you know, my views are, are, are back on the table, baby, and I get fi- I found somebody who I can vote for uh, to push them forward. So we backslid. But as a country, as a as a nation, as a sort of uh, society, as a, what we would have thought of as Western society, a total misnomer, a, a, a product of white supremacy, no notion Western society is a meaningless concept. But we have backslid as a as a mainstream sort of society. We've moved backward, and we're not going to hit a tipping point soon because I think that 
all of the people who could tip, uh, who are Democrats or, or, or persuadable uh, on that front, have tipped uh, on gay marriage and on, on trans rights. And unfortunately, there just aren't enough of them to completely squash the public debate on this and say to the people who are still fighting on this issue, who are still anti-trans rights, the Tucker Carlson's of the world uh, out there, there aren't enough people out there, powerful enough people out there to say, uh, you should be ashamed of yourself, Tucker, for what you are doing, what you are poisoning the narrative with, how you are, are, how you are, 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 are exploiting the most vulnerable among us uh, for fear um, and political gain uh, to, to you know, frighten them back into the shadows. Well, I see your point, but I mean, the reason I made the analogy to, to gay rights is it seems like there's been a, a fair amount of progress. I mean, under Obama, there was an executive order banning mm-hmm. discrimination against transgender people in employment yeah. by the federal government and its contractors. Yeah, fantastic. Then we had a law introduced a couple of years ago in Congress, the Equality Act, that would ban discrimination on the basis of gender identity and employment and housing, public accommodation, education. It is not yet passed. We do have... Over 130 bills introduced in 33 states to uh, re- regarding the rights of transgender people. So it's something that's being addressed uh, all at the those, local uh, level. Uh, all, all, all those bills, we can say maybe half of them are there to affirm trans rights. And the other half are, as you put it, about district attorneys who want to be you know, attorney general. <laughs> right. These are uh, conservative governors of Louisiana and Texas and wherever else, uh, North Carolina, that want right. to be president. It, the, it isn't always positive in terms of transgender rights. I guess my question is, is this debate just a way for the right to fight the culture wars? And if so, should the left back off to avoid the risk of elections producing more politicians who will appoint more Clarence Thomas type judges. Because it seems like when, you know, people go off, whether it's Bill Maher going off on the woke or Tucker Carlson, it adds up to the same thing. Certain phenomena, certain issues that most Americans think, oh, that just crosses the line. And it seems like this business of, you know, the bathrooms and the, the uh, a man deciding he's a woman and frightening the lady and the IWCA, it, it just... It is powerful. You're right. It's red meat for the Trump base, right? It, it, it might yeah. incite them to, to, to vote. Frankly, I think and, those folks... And Ron DeSantis anyway. is building his whole presidential campaign oh, yeah. on, on the whole wokeness yeah, issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that while that is a good strategy by the Republicans, there's nothing that the Democrats or progressives can do to counter it because the Republicans are going to hammer that uh, that lie uh, that there's somehow danger uh, posed by trans people uh, living their lives and, for example, going into bathrooms to pee uh, or changing at the YWCA. They're going to they're going to create these stories uh, that indicate that there's some sort of danger or peril out there, no matter what the Democrats say. So the only thing and the only moral thing that the Democrats or progressives can do is stand with trans people and say, we support you wholeheartedly. We obviously recognize that you're no threat to society. You just want to be functioning members of society who are accepted. And this uh, lady who uh, is, you know, I, I would guess probably uh, in her 50s or 60s, who is in this YWCA, uh, uh, it's, she's in the same situation as all the people who are- oh, this is a 17-year-old. The 17-year-old was the woman complaining who about, saw, but the, right, exactly. the, the trans woman- Oh, I thought you were talking about the complainant. Yeah, who's, okay. who's just trying to use the pool and the, <laughs> the locker room. Right. What exactly is she supposed to do? Just like in all those bathroom bills situations where you think about, I don't know, the disadvantaged, marginalized group, the trans person, who you say, well, who is presenting as a woman to the world, was she supposed to go into the men's room? 
Isn't she just as much or in a lot more danger from people who might tell her that she's in the wrong place or not, not like that she is there or attack her because she is generally a marginalized person in America who is constantly the victims of attack and, uh, and abuse? Or is it really the victims, uh, the, the, are really the, the true victims in this situation, the cis women who have to put up with the existence of a trans woman in their space? Oh my God, the humanity, I'm tearing my hair out, it's so terrible. You have to look at someone in a locker room, whereas that person risks going into a man's space, presenting as a woman and being attacked? Uh, assaulted, murdered, as happens all the time in America. Trans people are constantly murdered just for being trans by transphobes. I mean, that, they are the victims It's here. unbelievable, Connor. We, we've solved two major problems today. Like, Alec Baldwin and transgender rights. We are wizards. Uh, well, we're going to see if you're a wizard, because when we come back, we're going to play America's favorite game show, Guess the Verdict, and uh, we'll just see how you deal with uh, the case that we're calling the case of the philanderer versus the phone company. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So it's time of the podcast, Connor, where we play the game, uh, Guess the Verdict. I give you the facts of a real case, and you get to guess the outcome. Are you ready? I am ready, but I will I will just say right off the bat, this was teased as the case of the philanderer mm-hmm. Versus and the phone, the phone company. company. Yes, right. And I just want to say to the viewers out there, I don't know the facts yet, but I will be even-handed. <laughs> and if I come down on the side of the philanderer, I don't want to see any comments talking about how I am condoning uh, the disruption of the American family uh, because I am approaching this from a from a galaxy-sized brain perspective of the legal <laughs> genius who is approaching. All I bring to this table is legal analysis. I cannot be bothered See, I thought you were to make just moral say you judgments. Hate the phone company, but you know. oh, I do also hate phone numbers. Uh, phone companies. If it's Spectrum, they lose. Period. That's it. I hate them, and I will burn them down. Well, it's not Spectrum. Okay. So uh, here's the story: A Los Angeles man told his cell phone company, "Hey, uh, would you please mail all my bills to the office?" And don't give copies of the bills to anybody but me. Okay, ixnay on the regular thing. Very suspicious. <laughs> His wife calls up the phone company and says, Oh, could you give me the bills, uh, the phone bills, uh, please? Thank specifically you the phone records of who he's been texting or and sexting? so the company promptly sent her the copies. Oh, no. Yeah, in spite of what he said. She notices, re- reviewing carefully, line by line, she that he's been talking with his girlfriend, yeah. and so she divorces him. Oh, no. What happens? The man sues the phone company for negligence. Mm. Now, he did ask them, and they said, oh, sure, we won't give them to anybody That's else. very specific. Yeah, so what uh, What do you think his chances are in court against uh, the phone company? Yeah, so we, uh, we in America have a little thing uh, called contract law where you make agreements with people, uh, and then uh, you are uh, required to abide by those agreements. So the first question, of course, in an illegal analysis world is, what does this guy's co- phone contract say, right? Does this contract say that he, uh, that, you know, you, he can, the phone company could disclose information about who he's calling um, 
two Well, we other don't know people, what was in right? the contract because the ex-wife but, burned down his house. <laughs> contract inside. But most of the time, the phone company's contract is going to say something like, we won't give your information to anybody else, right? In the same way that when you have Google as your email provider and you have a Gmail address right. uh, and you click those terms of service, they say some things like, oh, yeah, and we'll keep it secret. And even if somebody asks really, really nicely, unless they're law enforcement or something, we're not going to hand over your emails to a random person. You have a password that protects you, right? The wrinkle in this is that it's his wife. So suddenly the phone company has a better argument, absent the phone call that he he's, he made earlier. Got a better argument to say, look, your wife calls there's a strong presumption. That it's not like this is your medical records and we got to you know, abide by HIPAA or something. There's probably not and a- And it's a not like law. he said, I'm a cheater. Don't you dare give this to my wife. Right. He didn't. Uh, wait, hold up. Uh, he sort of did. Uh, <laughs> and so the, the question in that situation, with just absent uh, uh, you know, the, the, the phone call from him, I'm tipping phone co- company here. I'm going to say, look, if the wife calls up and says, I want the bills, uh, and she's also on the plan, she's probably got a phone on the plan, the same thing. If he's texting, she's texting. You know, it makes sense uh, that the phone company would handle the bills. The the fact that he called and said, "I'm the only <laughs> one who gets these records," that is a request by him to change the deal, right? To change the contract, right? And if you accept that contract change, that modification, as the person on the other side of a contract, the phone company in this case, if and then he takes actions, sexting, in reliance, reasonable reliance on you having uh, agreed to a modification of the contract. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a legally binding situation, right? You can't be, uh, you know, changing the. Uh, you can't be. Ch- uh, you can't be undoing changes to the terms of a contract, right? If you and I agree to buy, if I, you, I'm going to buy a hundred of your widgets at five dollars each, and then before the contract is executed, uh, I call you up and I say I want them delivered Wednesday, not Tuesday, and you say, oh. Okay, and then I reasonably rely on that, and then I change the date that I have my warehouse reserved, and then you show up on the original date and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't implement the change to our contract. I'm going to be able to sue you and get my damages for my loss here, right? So all of this is normal contract principles. And then we get to the reality that this ends up in front of a decider, a judge or a jury, who makes a decision not based on any of that legal crap that we all lawyers like to sit and, you know, You'd hope the judge would make a decision based on the legal crap. absolutely not. They definitely don't. In this situation, whenever it's into uh, people behaving badly about sexual relations, inevitably, the law goes out the window. Who cares? All that matters is he's the bad guy, and so he loses. That's going to be it. The finder of fact in this situation is going to be so, it's going to be so impossible for them to get past the fact that this guy cheated on his wife and, you know, is, is paying his comeuppance for it, that he goes down in flames. So it sounds like you're leaning toward uh, the phone company winning. Yes, I did the legal analysis, and we arrive for at a man long wins, time, and then I do was... the, fo- the, the, the feelings analysis, and we end up with the phone company wins. For a long time, you were into Ira, oh, yeah. but then you were into Iraq. Yes. Uh, and those of you who've been to law school know Iraq is issue, rule, analysis, and conclusion. Mm-hmm. You use that uh, principle for every law exam, every bar exam, and you gave us a lot of Ira there. I and did. then the C, the conclusion came at the end. And it was. And guess what? You're right. Yes. Absolutely. The lawsuit was dismissed. And this is what the judge said. Yeah. The court wrote that the phone company was not to blame. Instead, these are the words of the judge, and this is how he sounded. Plaintiff's philandering and indiscriminate use of his cellular phone caused the marriage to go up in smoke, end quote. 
So you yeah. may sound, this is a crotchety old Walter Brennan kind yeah, of guy. that was a good impression of him. Yeah. According to you, he it's made good. the right call. Hey, you know, uh, well, I mean, not legally, but who cares, right? <laughs> the law doesn't, it's not real, it's all made up. The idea that there's some eternal code of law that determines right and wrong, it and doesn't exist. It's and consensus. And your batting average is intact. Yes! So, all right, great job, Connor, and great job, everybody. Surviving this podcast, <laughs> uh, I think we're about 153 or four episodes in. You set a world record. Uh, I think so. All right, have a great week. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER.